0: John chapter 8, we're going to be starting with verse 32 this evening, Uh, but I'm going to want to read uh, verse 31 and 32 that we spent a lot of time on last week. It says, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's a a very oft-quoted verse of the Bible. Uh, because it's something we can rest on, something we can stand on. The truth of the Lord makes us free. And Jesus making that statement. So last week we looked at in depth to this freedom, being free in Christ. And freedom in Christ comes by as we see in those two verses. First, believing in Him. Second, abiding in His Word and third knowing the truth so believing in him abiding in his word knowing the truth and knowing the truth the truth makes us free it's the truth that makes us free we also talked last week about how anytime in the book of John throughout the whole New Testament that we mention truth or we mention word that's Jesus That's Jesus through and through so uh, Jesus up to this point through the Gospel of John Jesus has been teaching them. So it's, He's been giving them His Word. And we know from the passages that we've looked at so far that His Word is God's Word. So the Jews that He's in conversation with uh, most of the time, as we've seen so far, He is referring constantly to uh, His Word, God's Word. So that would be the whole of what they had available to them at the time and that would have been all of the writings of the prophets and in the Old Testament, and what Jesus had taught so far. So anytime we see the word truth mentioned or His Word, we can rest in the fact that it's the Word of God, it is Jesus Himself, and everything that Jesus has been teaching. And so, knowing the truth, the truth makes us free. Living in freedom, But tonight, we're going to see a different side of that and what it is to live in slavery or live in bondage. We're going to look at what it is to be a definition of and what it's to be like to be in spiritual bondage. Spiritual bondage. Verse 33 says, They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, something should jump out at us right away in that passage, right? We're Abraham's descendants. Okay, we we understand that. We know that they are. And we've never been in bondage to anyone. Um, Excuse me. (laughs) Maybe you should go back and look over your history, you know, because as we talked last week, just to name a few. uh, Babylon. uh, Egypt, certainly, to start with. Babylon. uh, Persia. Uh, Assyria that's just to name a few and even right at this time they're in bondage to Rome aren't they? So uh, never been in bondage to anyone how can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them and said most assuredly I say to you whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. So so often as it has gone throughout the book of John so far, we have seen this dialogue between Jesus and especially the Jewish religious leaders of the day. He would be making a statement or trying to teach a spiritual concept, but they're in the physical, aren't they? They're not getting the connection between the spiritual versus the, 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 spirit, the physical. So he says in this verse, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. A slave of sin. What's that all about? So, sin is an act, an act that we commit. Our sin is disobedience to God's will. It's committing an act of disobedience. It's something that we do that's an in indirect violation of God's uh, law, of God's uh, desire for for commandments and what it is that He wants. Uh, us to do. So sin is disobedience to God's will. It's the it's direct act of disobedience. Sin is also a state. It's a state that we are in. Uh, and if you go with, that, with the physical on that, it's the state of Colorado, right? But the spiritual would be state. It's a state of sin. It's, it's being in a place. Uh, it's a state of, uh, where there's an absence of righteousness. It's being in a state Of disobedience, so sin is an act, sin is a state, and sin is also a nature, and that's something that we all need to be aware of. That we were born into that, weren't we? We were born into sin. It's our nature to sin. Our nature is enmity toward God, and it's our fleshly nature to to disobey. Our flesh doesn't want to obey the commands of God. It doesn't want to do what God. Uh, says so whoever commits sin by an act by being in a certain state or living out this nature they're a slave to that act that state or that that nature and as sinners they who Jesus is talking to and we are guilty of all three of these not just guilty in the past but we're still guilty of that aren't we How many of us here still sin? I'm going to raise my hand first so you can feel free. We still sin, don't we? Sin is in our nature. That's that fleshly side of us that we still have a propensity to sin, to fall short of the mark uh, that God has set. So as sin enslaves us, it controls us, it dominates us, and it dictates uh, our actions many times. So... If sin does all of these things in us and through us, then what is controlling us? Who's in charge? Well, if if you're a slave to sin, sin's in charge, isn't it? It has control over you. So uh, we would be in bondage to sin. We are slaves to sin. The worst form of slavery is when sin has a grip on your life and you can't get out of it. You've probably talked to people that are caught in uh, alcoholism or drug abuse and they just can't seem, uh, pornography, which is huge uh, today, can't seem to break free of that. They can't get out of it. They are a slave uh, to that. Uh, Even we as believers, if we have a propensity, even as Christians, to lie. And we continue to lie. We're a slave to that. Uh, We're going to talk about that a little more because we're going to understand that in Christ we have freedom from that. He frees us from that. But uh, how many of you have a tendency to drive too fast? There were some hands that went up real quick, which uh, uh, makes sense. You know, if you drive too fast, then you probably raise your hand too fast too. But uh, we have sin in our lives, and if it takes control of us, then we are slaves to that sin. So, a slave is not his own master. Now, we know that from just the definition of a slave, whether it be from years ago or be from uh, the early startings of our own country. A slave is not his own master. As a slave, you can't quit. You're unable to free yourself, and you're just caught in this gripping lifestyle. You are under the authority of the Master, and the Master's in charge, right? So as a slave to the Master, you need to be in a place where you're doing what the Master says. So Jesus goes on to say in verse 35, And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. I love that verse, uh, because... For those of us that have relationship with Jesus Christ and know what he 's done for us, the Son has made us free from sin. Remember a few weeks back, uh, they caught the woman uh, the woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. they brought her in, they threw her at jesus feet. Uh, we saw in that whole dialogue that that it really wasn't about the woman as much as it was they were putting Jesus on trial. they were trying to to trap him or catch him, that whole catch-22 situation where they felt like he only had two answers and either one of those they were going to be able to, to come down on him for. But he came up with an answer that was perfect. But what did he say to the woman after everyone had dropped the rocks and left? He said, go and sin no more. And we talked about that, that that meant go and you are free to sin no more. Go and be free to sin no more. Because that's a choice for us, isn't it? Uh, We always have the choice to be obedient to God or or not be obedient to God. And many times the flesh wins out and we are disobedient because it feels good, doesn't it? I I know years ago somebody said, if you're sinning and not having fun, you're obviously doing the wrong sin. Uh, And there is some truth in that, isn't there? Because it is pleasurable for a season, as Scripture says but it's not good for us in the long term. So, a slave, no matter to whom he belongs, he has no permanent standing in the house of his master. Because as a slave, he could very easily be sold to someone else, and then once again, he's a slave or in bondage to his, to his new owner. But Jesus is pointing out here that the son abides forever. A slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So in this situation... The son is not a slave. The the son is not in bondage. He has a place in his father's house as a right, as a privilege of being the son. Once a son, always a son. And the son living in a free household, when he comes of age, he can also act with authority because of his status in that household. And we know how that works. As an heir, as uh, the father gets older, uh, passes on, Uh, responsibilities and properties and all those sorts of things to the Son. And so the Son takes over. He has power and authority just like the Father did. So now He is in the place of being a Master. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, acts with supreme authority because as we saw when we looked in John chapter 3, verse 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. So the Father has given Jesus that power and authority, right? So when Jesus said, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed, as we look at it from the standpoint of a master and a slave, if the Son of the Master who has responsibility uh, and the authority comes to the slave and says, you're free, you're free to go, you are free now, he is free indeed because the Son has freed him. Spiritually speaking, we know that to be true with Jesus Christ as well. Because the Father has given him, given him authority, and so if he says you are free, you are free indeed. So Jesus, the Son of God, has the power and authority granted to him by the Father to make slaves free, to make us free. To be made free by the Son is to be free indeed, free from the laws of sin and death, as we talked about that last week. So the question then comes, as we look at this relationship between master and slave, and master and son, father and son, the question comes up, who's your daddy? (laughs) Who's your daddy? That's the title of the teaching tonight. Who's your daddy? Keep that in your mind as we go through the rest of this passage. Verse 37. Jesus says to them, I know that you are Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. Now that in and of itself makes sense. As we grew up, as we had fathers, fathers did certain things. We were right beside them. We saw what they did. We tended to do those things ourselves. Uh, as, As we grow older, You know, we probably went through a point in time in our lives when we're like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to be like, but I know what I don't want to be like. I don't want to be like my dad. I want to be different than my dad. I don't want to do the things, say the things, and be so much like my dad. And then as you get older, you find out, normally your wife reminds you, you're a lot like your dad. That sounds like something your dad would say. That sounds exactly like something your dad would say. And 100% of the time, she's right. I'm not speaking of anyone in particular. I'm just making <laughs> a statement overall. But we tend to be like our fathers. We, we tend to uh, emulate what, what our fathers did and what they do. So Jesus said, I speak what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have seen with your father. So Jesus is very much like his father because he is God. And he's saying that they are like their fathers. And they act that way. And he said, now you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. All the things that I've been teaching you, all the things that you have available to you uh, in the law and in the prophets, even because of all of that, you still seek to kill me, Jesus is saying. So, uh... Jesus says, I speak what I've seen from my father, you speak what you have seen from your father. So it brings us to this thing that we're familiar with in our day and age called paternity testing. We're probably most familiar with that. Paternity testing is, as you probably all know, the use of genetic fingerprinting to determine whether two individuals have a biological parent-child relationship. You may even know someone that's been through this but it's paternity testing. A paternity test establishes genetic proof whether a man is the biological father of an individual. Now with the onslaught of science and everything, DNA has now come into play. So DNA testing is currently the most advanced and accurate technology to determine parentage. In a DNA parentage test, the result, which is called the probability of parentage, is zero percent when the alleged parent is not biologically related to the child. They get it that accurate now. They can tell zero percent. There's no chance that this you are the father of this child. But the probability of parentage is typically 99.99 percent when the alleged parent is biologically related to the child. So it's uh, it's a very accurate method of testing now that they have through, through DNA. So the results are accurately positive or negative. Zero percent or 100 percent. And so now we see in this text, we're going to see as this dialogue continues, Jesus is going to be using a paternity test, spiritually speaking, to determine who is their father, who's their daddy, Right? So now keep in mind it's been case on a regular basis, as I said before throughout John, Jesus is speaking spiritually, they're thinking physically. Jesus had been up to this point and still is giving them His Word, giving them God's Word, giving them the truth, the truth that would make them free spiritually. So, if you like to take notes, spiritual paternity test number one, which happens to turn out negative, Verse 39, they answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. So they say, Abraham is their father. And in this they spoke true because all Jews were natural descendants of Abraham, right? They, They were in the lineage of Abraham. Physically, that part of the paternity test, they passed. Now spiritually... Jesus says, if Abraham was your father, you would do the works of Abraham. Now, what do we know about Abraham? From Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So, spiritually speaking, the paternity test Jesus gives them is do you do the works of Abraham? One of those works being the most important one do you believe? Because it said Abraham believed and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so Jesus has brought this up. We saw a couple weeks ago that the words that he spoke, the response was that many believed in him. And then it says Jesus said to those who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. So there's the first step that takes that believing, right? And so Abraham believed. But they don't believe. So what does that mean exactly? Well, if you don't believe in the spiritual paternity test, Abraham's not your father. (laughs) Maybe you've uh, come along in the line of Abraham, as a descendant of Abraham, but spiritually speaking in a relationship with God, Abraham's not your father. And proof that you do not do the works of Abraham, we see that in verse 40. Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. Abraham believed God. So the spiritual paternity test number one is that Abraham is not your father. That was a big negative, right? Zero percent. Spiritual paternity test number two, which is also going to be negative. Verse 41, You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. So they're claiming Abraham as their father. Now they're saying, We have only one father, God. Okay, so they've done some homework here because they bring up this, We were not born of fornication. They throw that out there because they believe that there were rumors that Mary, the mother of Jesus, became pregnant before being married to Joseph. Which was true. They believed these rumors. They believed he was born out of fornication because of this. Because of these rumors that Joseph wasn't the father. They just took that and ran with it. But they didn't accept or even understand who his real father was. They didn't want to listen to the truth about that. Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God nor have I come of Myself, but He sent Me. So there's a key ingredient here on whether or not God is their Father. What is that? If God were your Father is your Father, you would love Me, Jesus said. And then He said in verse 43, Why do you not understand My speech? Because you're not able to listen to My Word. Their spiritual blindness was way up there. They had already determined what the Messiah was going to be like when He came, what it was they were looking for in the Messiah, and Jesus didn't meet that criteria in their eyes, so they just pretty much discounted Him in that whole thing. They, they didn't believe Him. They didn't believe His Word. They didn't believe what He was saying. So spiritually speaking, the paternity test Jesus gives them here is, you say God is your Father. Jesus said, if God were your Father, you would love Me. But because you don't love me, you do not listen to or understand my word. He said to these same Pharisees back in John chapter 5, But I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. And also in John 8, 19, You know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. So Jesus is saying, you don't love God, you don't love me, you don't listen to me or my word, therefore God is not your father. They didn't pass the spiritual paternity test number two either, did they? So we have paternity test number one, Abraham's not your father, negative on that. Paternity test number two, God's not your father, negative on that. Now we have spiritual paternity test number three, which is positive. After the first two being negative, this one is positive. Jesus says to them in verse 44, You are of your father the devil. Now, I don't know about you, but (laughs) if I was in that audience and Jesus said, Your father is Satan, that would disturb me a little bit. Because I don't care how bad your father was, your father wasn't Satan. He just wasn't, okay? He may have been a terrible father, but for Satan to be your father, n- not a good thing. So he, he says, You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father, who is the devil, you want to do. You want to do the deeds of your father, the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources. For he is a liar and the father of it. The father of lies. So if you're the son of the father of lies, that would make you the son of the father of lies. Which would probably make you the son of lies, right? You're a liar. Jesus says you are of your father the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning. You want to kill me. You lie about me. The things that you say about me, especially what we just looked at, the, the fornication part, you, you don't know the truth. So you're lying about that. You're just throwing, spreading that rumor, which is a lie. He says in verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? Now I think that's a good question because they could have, Jesus could have, okay, point out sin in my life. He was sinless, wasn't he? They could have worked as hard as they wanted and they would have never found sin in the life of Jesus. So he's saying, Who, which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell you the truth, then why don't you believe me? If I am sinless, that means I tell the truth all the time, right? He never lies. So if he tells the truth all the time, it seems like a truth that they should listen to. At least that's what I think. He said, which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? Verse 47, he who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you're not of God. (laughs) Pretty straightforward and simple for them. So spiritually speaking, the paternity test Jesus gives them here is positive, isn't it? Based on what you believe about me, based on what you want to do to me, these alone prove who your father is, the father of lies, the devil. Basically, to summarize that, you either love God and He is your Father, so you're saved from sin, or you love the devil and He is your Father, and you're not saved from sin. It's it's very clear. It's one or the other. So the question then is, who's your daddy? Who is your daddy? Well, now we're going to see as we move on in the text, just like a bunch of kids, you know, that argue on a playground, we're going to see that they result to name-calling. You know, the whole thing where a statement's made and the kid goes, oh yeah, well, uh, well you... you know," And they say things like, you got cooties. Or, yeah, well, you're, you're dumb. Or, your mother wears army boots. Or, or, my dad's better than your dad. You know, you've heard that one before, right? I think I've shared this with you before, but the three boys that are sitting together talking, and one of them says, my dad's amazing. My dad scribbles some notes on a piece of paper, calls it a poem, and people pay him hundreds of dollars for it, you know. The other kid says, oh, that's that's nothing. My dad, he scribbles some words on a paper, calls it a song, and people pay him thousands of dollars for it. And the third kid says, that's nothing. (laughs) My dad scribbles some notes on a paper, calls it a sermon, and it takes six guys to gather all the money together that, that he gets. <laughs> My dad's better than your dad. But they're using what we might call the art of public humiliation here. They're trying this out on Jesus. He's in mixed company. The Jews are there. Uh, there are some of his followers there, believers there, disciples there. Uh, there's uh, these Jewish religious leaders. They're right in the middle of this dialogue. So they're trying this art of public humiliation. They've tried this with Jesus before, and it didn't work, you know, many times already. History has recorded for us some interesting banter that took place on a regular basis between Lady Astor and Winston Churchill. Lady Astor once said, Winston, you're drunk. To which Winston Churchill responded, But I shall be sober in the morning and you, madam, will still be ugly. (laughs) Lady Astor said, Mr. Churchill, if you were my husband, I'd put poison in your tea. Winston said, Madam, if I were your husband, I'd drink it. (laughs) So the Jews here, they're resorting to name-calling. We see in verse 48, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? (laughs) <laughs> where do they get their material you know <laughs> they are so far off but we have to get uh, put this in perspective for a Jew to call another Jew a Samaritan not a, not a good thing uh, you know that, well, I can't think of anything right now that, we would <laughs> that I would want to use in this environment uh, you know, for that but to call someone a Samaritan in that day and age they look down on the Samaritans And that's because uh, years before when Assyria came down and invaded northern Israel, they hauled a lot of the Jews back to Assyria with them, but some of them they left in the land, and then over time the Assyrians intermarried with those Jews, so they weren't considered to be true Jews anymore. They'd had this mixed marriage thing go on, and so they're not true Jews at all anymore. Uh, we've, We've got a similar situation with my oldest daughter, Mark, whom she married, is half Greek and half Italian. Lacey's redneck, I guess, I don't know. But, <laughs> not really, but whatever she is, she was brought into this Greek-Italian thing. I don't even know how to explain it, because it still fascinates me, to say the least. But intermarriage is something that we see every day. But back then, If a Jew didn't marry a Jew, they were looked down upon because they were marrying a a different type of people. They weren't marrying into God's chosen people. So that's how the Samaritans came to be. So calling someone a Samaritan that was a Jew, whoo, chopping low, you know, below the knees with that one, at least so they thought. But then they said, "Uh, you're a Samaritan and you have a demon. Now that's quite a statement to make to the Son of God. I just, they don't know He's the Son of God. They don't recognize that. But Jesus' response, uh, you know, is, is really interesting here. They've already accused Him of being born of fornication. So it's the equivalent of saying, we don't know who your father is. Your father could even be a Samaritan, for all we know. You know, this big insult. But Jesus didn't even respond to that. What He says in verse 49 is, I do not have a demon, But I honor my Father, and you dishonor me. Yeah, they did. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. If you're free in Jesus, you are free indeed. If you believe in his word, you believe in him, you are free indeed, and you shall never see death. We have uh, eternal life in Jesus. He says to them, and it's almost to me at this point, uh, Jesus, I think Jesus had compassion on everyone. I really believe that. I believe Jesus saw even the Jewish religious leaders, even though he came down pretty hard on them at times, he knew they were lost. And he knew they needed the truth, so that the truth would make them free. It's like he's saying, if you would just listen to me, which you don't, if you would just believe what I say, which you don't, you would never see death. I can free you from your slavery to sin. Which they didn't believe they were in to start with, right? They didn't believe they were in slavery to sin. Verse 52, then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets, and you say if anyone keeps my word he shall never taste death now we know for sure that you have a demon Abraham's dead and the prophets you say if anyone keeps my word he shall never taste death are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead who do you make yourself out to be now that fascinates me as well because why do they want to kill him Because he's claiming to be God, right? And then they ask the question, who do you uh, make yourself out to be? Well, God. I've been saying that all along, you know. Who do you make yourself out to be? So now they're back to Abraham as our father. They fall back on the... They're playing the Abraham card, aren't they? We hold Abraham in high regard. We hold the prophets in high regard. We are of the lineage of Abraham and we believe the words of the Prophets. But who are you? Who are you claiming to be? Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that He is your God. Yet you have not known Him, but I know Him. And if I say, I do not know Him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know Him and keep His word. I look and I read this, and there, there has to be, you would hopefully be, some conviction here on their part. <laughs> Jesus saying, I know him. You don't know him. If I say I don't know him, I'd be a liar just like you. Remember in verse 44, Jesus says that you are of your father the devil. Jesus says the devil is the father of lies. He's taking them back to the point that he was making. You're lying. You are lying because you are of your father the devil. He says to them, You do not know God, you do not keep his word, but I do know him and I do keep his word. Verse 56 Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and you have seen Abraham. Which I think that's interesting too, because Jesus was like, what, 33? Something like that? 50? Um, That's not a compliment either, I don't think. Do you? Uh, You know how that goes with with ladies. Uh, You know, (laughs) how long have you been pregnant? (laughs) Don't ever ask that, right? (laughs) You don't ever go there, you know, asking a lady, how old are you? You don't go there either. You just don't do that. I like to always, you know, jump it back like 25 years. So you're like, you know, 22, 23, you know, 39 at the most. You never go past 39. That's like that's a hard set rule. But I, I have to think that everything that Jesus would have been through up to this point, as we would know our own physical bodies and what we go through, he would age. Maybe he, he did actually look older than he was because of all that he had been through. I, I don't know, just something to think about. But uh, you're not yet 50 years old and you've seen Abraham. Obviously even 50 is not old enough to, to have seen Abraham. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Before Abraham was, I am. And I believe that when Jesus said that, there was some emphasis there. I don't believe it was just kind of a passing thing. Most am sure I said, before Abraham was, I am. I don't think it was one of those. I think it was a very bold statement of him stating who he was. Before Abraham was, I am. Hear how quiet it is right now, except for the traffic? I have to think that that's what the response was, just for a time. Because they had to be going, what did he just say? What did he just say? He just said, I am. He just claimed to be God. But looking at the verses, how did Abraham rejoice to his day, to this day? Abraham would have seen the birth of the Messiah in the miraculous birth of his own son Isaac, wouldn't he? Think about that miraculous birth of Isaac. God promised them a child. They were old in age. Uh, Even though they tried to thwart the whole process, (laughs) uh, they did have a child. And it was it was a miracle. It was amazing. Abraham would have also seen the sacrifice that Jesus would make on the cross of Calvary, when he offered Isaac his only son in sacrifice to God as well. God said to Abraham, "Take your son, your only son, and go up on the mountain and offer him as a sacrifice." We know that Abraham. It says, "Rose up early in the morning." He he followed the Lord in obedience and prepared his son to be sacrificed. Isaac even asked Abraham, Father, we've got the wood and the fire for the sacrifice, but where's where's the lamb? Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb. So because of Abraham's obedience, God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac and provided a lamb for the sacrifice instead. So the text says, there in Genesis, say Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. Jehovah Jireh, familiar with that uh, term. The Lord will provide. If the Jews could and would just see that picture, the very lamb to be sacrificed was talking with them right at that time. Right at that time, they were talking to the Lamb that was going to be sacrificed for their sins. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. Can you just imagine that scene, the boldness of that statement, the reverberation of that statement in the minds of the Jews? What did he just say? He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God of Moses. I am the God of the prophets. I am God. That's what they heard. That's what they heard him claim. It's another I am statement of Jesus' claim to be God. It's another I am statement of his deity. It's another I am statement of equality with God. And even though this is true, they didn't believe. They saw it as blasphemy worthy of death. Verse 59, Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. And we see that Jesus escapes here out of divine intervention, doesn't he? There's several times that that happens throughout the Gospels. I just think that's so cool. He just kind of, you know, right on out of there. What, where'd he go, you know? Because of God's divine plan, because his hour had not yet come. That's a phrase that we see repeated throughout the Gospel of John his hour had not yet come. So that is not going to be the time when they take up stones and kill him because his hour had not yet come. And that's not the death that he was going to die by anyway, right? He was going to be a lamb that was sacrificed for, this, for their sins. So what we need to keep in mind as we go through this, Jesus has been talking to these religious leaders. He's talking about being free in him is free indeed. And so we immediately equate that, or most times we think, well, I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, so I am free in Jesus. I am free indeed. We are. Praise God, we are. But we still have a propensity to sin, don't we? But we don't have to. We are free to not do that. <laughs> we are free. It comes down to a choice. Do I do, I, do I do this or do I not? Something as simple as that. The sign says 75, I can run 80. You know, It's as simple a choice as that so many times. How many of you disagree with the term that I, oh, I fell into sin. No, you didn't. <laughs> you have been entertaining sin for a long time and you just finally gave into it. You didn't just accidentally stumble. I don't know what happened. I just stumbled into sin. <laughs> it doesn't work that way at all. There's been something at work in you, in your flesh, drawing to you to that very thing all along. But what Jesus is saying to us Even as believers, we are free in Him and we are free indeed. We are free to not sin. We have that choice. However, to qualify it and to know God's grace and God's mercy is such that when we do sin, when we do miss the mark, when we do fall short, forgiveness is there because of the sacrifice of the Lamb, because of what He did for us dying on the cross. So what is our spiritual lineage? What's our parentage? The paternity test for us. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? God himself and Jesus Christ, his son who died for our sins. Amen.